Welcome to Nobel Prize Conversations and this encore presentation of our December 2013 talk with Literature Laureate Alice Munro. I'm Claire Brilliant and I'm here with our host Adam Smith. Hi Adam. Hi. We're actually about to revisit six podcasts, one from each prize category, and we're kicking off with Literature, which is the oldest podcast of the bunch at just over 10 years old. Do you even remember when you recorded this, Adam? Oh, very much so, because it was quite a coup getting this interview with Alice Munro quite soon after she'd been awarded the prize. She didn't speak often, so it was it was just a joy to be able to record it. I think that really comes across in, in re-listening to the episode. Uh, in getting ready for this season, we've been re-listening to quite a few of the upcoming episodes, and we've seen how some conversations like this one have just aged very well. It feels so timeless. Why do you think this conversation was so good? Um, partly because I think it was a conversation. Uh, you know, these Nobel Prize conversations, sometimes they're more conversational than other times when they're a bit more interviewy. And this one did feel like um, we'd somehow achieved that nirvana of proper conversation. And um, also because she's dealing really with the subject of writing the short story. I liked how she said that she saw the prize as a, as a vindication, something that could make people like her who take short stories feel feel comforted. I, I, I really like the way she described that. I think one of the things about this conversation that I like is that um, she didn't talk often about her writing her process. And it seems to me that, to a certain extent, she's also discovering things about herself in it. Maybe that's saying too much, but she seems excited about talking about it. And and, and some of the things she says seem to excite her. And that's nice. That There were so many parts of, of this conversation when she described her process in, in such um, appealing ways. Um, another element that I remembered was how when she was younger, when she was writing, she was more melancholy than when she was older. And the way she described that was really interesting, I thought. <laughs> yes, it's hopeful that one gets happier as one gets older. <laughs> let's, let's hope that's true. So I think it's time to get started now. Absolutely. Uh, so yes, let's go back to those days and uh, weeks just after Alice Munro had been awarded a Nobel Prize in 2013 and listen to this encore presentation of Nobel Prize Conversations. It must have been a quite bewildering few weeks since the prize was awarded. <laughs> bewildering, but very, very pleasant. Very nice. That's nice to hear because, um, I mean, you're notoriously quite a reserved person who doesn't expose yourself to the media very much. Well, probably not, but uh, I'm really not quite a dragon. I'm quite, I can be, be quite happy. <laughs> That's nice. So, have you actually enjoyed then then the attention that the prize has brought? You know, I I have enjoyed the whole thing. It's it's wonderful in in its uh, just not necessarily this this fact of me getting it as much as the whole thing. There is such a feeling. Everybody who's who's come to see me about it, and it's feeling of the importance of. Well, of the arts, and that that people are are so interested, and they're they're so delightful to me, and there's a feeling that um, uh, just that 
you've done the right thing. It must be very nice to have that kind of approbation once in your life, or me. That that is it, and uh, because you know you go you go for a long time with writing, just wondering what you're doing and and how it's working and things like that, and you uh, you love finding out that it's worked well. And you were at pains to say on the day of the announcement that. This you saw this as a prize, not only for yourself but also for the short story. Oh, very much so. I, you know, that that's what I, all that I've written. And um, when I began to write short stories, there was not a very good feeling about it. I mean, it was something that you were supposed to sort of cut your teeth on until you got big and brave enough to write a novel. And so I, I knew I wasn't probably going to write a novel, I wanted very much to do short stories, and I went on doing them. But I see this as a vindication. I see it as something that uh, that made people who, who, like me, want to take short stories seriously, made them uh, feel comforted, and to, to feel that it's something you could work at seriously your whole life. And I'm sure that this isn't an easy question to answer, but why did you specifically want to write short stories rather than moving to longer forms? Well, I think it was because when I started to write, I was a young housewife and mother, and I could not look ahead to doing a great deal of... Though I know lots of housewives do write novels, I couldn't seem to to uh, fit it in that way, and... Uh, then I started writing short stories, thinking I would just do this for a while. And then I became so interested in the style itself that it became not a, not an idea that you were doing until you grew up and wrote novels, but something that I never tired of doing, and I wanted to do it so much. And to have that recognized is just wonderful for me. I mean, do you think of it as a sort of... I mean, it's a fragmentary form, I suppose. So is it a fragmentary form which is well-suited to a society which is becoming more um, atomized, less unified? Uh, perhaps that's true. Though I don't think of it necessarily as, as fragmentary. I would think of it just as um, maybe condensed in a way, but given given enormous importance in in a uh, not very large space and uh, that's what i that's what i particularly like about it i i like the glow you can get from from a story it's a kind of shock to your system a good shock and a, and a sometimes a frightening shock but something that you can do with a with a short story in a very strong way that uh, isn't as easy in a longer piece of writing or isn't as isn't possible I, th I think they're very different forms but i like i like very much working in the story form so i write rather long stories is that partly what you're setting out to do you're setting out to arrest people to shock them uh perhaps shock is the wrong word but yes to arrest them to surprise them to make them think of something uh, a little different from it, perhaps, that they started out thinking of, of the way the story was going. 
something like that. Though I'm not at all didactic as a writer, so I don't want to sound that way. I just want them to be surprises. Are they also surprises for you? Do you know what the surprises are going to oh, be? Oh, goodness, yes. That's what I like. <laughs> I like very much to find out that uh, what I was writing about does not turn out to be the main thing I was writing about and to have to start again. Because I, I find I find things in myself and uh, in the work I'm doing, first in myself and then in the work I'm doing. And uh, this will surprise me sometimes. And so when you're writing, are you writing for yourself alone, for yourself and the audience alone? I think I'm writing for myself alone. In the beginning, I am. And then I, of course, I want other people to read it because I, I do like communication very much. But um, I want to have something that I think is worth communicating. And that's where the work comes in. So your, the stories you write, of course they're published individually, I mean, especially, for instance, yes. in places like The New Yorker, but then they're collected into these volumes. Do you have the collection in mind as you're writing and creating? No, not at all. I never can see further than the, the novel I'm working on. And then, uh, you know, towards the end, I'll have a batch of stories, and I will see them, but there's something about them that... That there's not a very large similarity about them, but there's something in them that shows what I was thinking at the time, and that I maybe really didn't even know was there. But uh, it is important then that they go together, but they don't go together while I'm working on them. Where do you write? Oh well, in the house somewhere. I I, I had I was starting writing when I had small children and so I, I wrote when they were having their naps and I would be at probably just sitting in a, in a chair a comfortable chair and writing by hand and then after a while I started learning to type and for quite a long time I didn't have a special place to work and I wrote when I could and uh, then, I, then I got a place and became much more um, much more certain about doing it. Did the place help in making you a more confident writer? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I vary between com between wild enthusiasm and uh, and uh, great doubts, and that never stops. Really? So you but then you, you try to overcome the doubts, mind you. You don't just get satisfied with them. You still, as a writer, feel doubt about... what? What is oh, the doubt? Oh, heavens, yes. And what's the doubt about? The doubt is about whether I can translate this, this story that I see in my head with all the, the changes and the, the, the things that are half-hidden, and can I get this through to the person who is reading the story? And I can't explain any further than that because it doesn't mean that I make the story more or less elaborate I just try to make it well I make it clearer to myself I, I uh, more and more see what I want to say and then I work at saying it 
So are you surrounded by sort of by sheaves of notes of stories that have begun and not been finished or do you tend to finish? No, no I usually, if I, if I see that the story isn't going well, I usually just throw it out. And uh, I might come back to it much later, having seen some value in it. But if I've worked at a story, say, for a week, and the story isn't kind of doing its job for me, I, for, I get rid of it and forget about it and find another. That's why stories are a lot more, are less intense maybe than novels. Do you think so? Yes, that, yes that, again, that makes perfect sense. The, mm-hmm. You don't have the sort of burden of a long-term relationship. It's a... And <laughs> that sounds like marriage. But anyway, what I mean is, it's not that I'm not working hard enough, but it's that there's something that in me is resisting the story because maybe I don't, at heart, I don't like it. I don't like it for some, maybe for a certain glibness about it. This, is a, this can be a problem with stories. And um, maybe because it uh, it doesn't have the mystery I want, or or just the sense of involvement I want. Like if you if you start a story, which I don't anymore, just because you know you say, well, I think that would make a good story. It generally doesn't work, and I just stop it because it has to have that feeling that excites me a lot. Mm. I have to be excited by it. It's very nice. I mean, again, it's, it, it, it sounds like a very intense relationship you have it with this. It is very intense. <laughs> I hadn't sort of thought I might ask this question, but given that you mentioned that you, you give it a week to sort of prove itself, h- how long does it take to write a story? Can you answer that? Oh, it can be any length at all. I think the shortest might be uh, a, a month or six, you know, mm. but... Um, Often I will, I will go back to a story and, I, you know, I will think I have finished the story. This isn't when I've given up a story, but when I have finished a story and just put it away and maybe even sent it to a publisher. And then I think, oh, I know, I know what should be done with that to make it better. And I, I, I will have thought that it was as good as it could be, but I will haul it out and I will haul it back from the publisher and I will fool around with it some more. And sometimes the people who are printing the story don't don't think this is particularly necessary, but um, I've got them mostly, so they'll do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like a tyrant. <laughs> so as the story moves from being, if you like, your possession to being other people's possession, do you start to think of particular readers? No. No, I never think of readers uh, as, you know, a particular kind of readers. Um, I guess what I think is, if people like my stories, and not everybody does, uh, if people like my stories and and I've done the best I could with it, they're going to like this one. Because I find, too, in, in maybe in the stories that I... other people's stories. Uh, I don't like other people's stories all the same, but in general, if I like what they're doing, I'm going to like pretty well the way they've done it. And so that, I suppose, begs the question of whether you feel you're 
your voice has been pretty much the same throughout your writing career. I think so, yes. I think it's been the same, but I've been, in the way that I've been the same person, but you know, as a person, you you do change. And I think I think uh, that's what's happened maybe with, with my stories. Oddly enough, I think that in the beginning, I was much more melancholy mm-hmm. than, uh, than later. because And I think maybe a lot of us are like that. And is that a reflection of you as a person? Were you more melancholy then, or is it just the way you wrote? No, I think it, it was it was a, a characteristic of youth. Yes. Not not necessarily anything I knew I was doing, but just that uh, you're apt to see things that way. And then later on, when you've seen a few things that make actually make you very melancholy, you you kind of cheer up a bit. <laughs> True. Um, I'm sorry about this nonsense. It's not nonsense at all. I th- <laughs> but do you think writing gets easier as you get older? Well, I think a certain kind of facility gets easier. I'm not sure that, that uh, you know, and, and facility is not enough. So I'm not, I'm not sure that writing gets any easier at all. The only thing that gets easier is the fact that you've done this before you you felt that that something wasn't working you've been dis- in despair about something much earlier in your life and you've done it all your life and the despair has in general changed to to something that you could be more or less satisfied with so i think as you're older you get to know that that will probably happen and you don't feel in such utter despair. But I'm not promising anything. Despair is still around. But I suppose then that's just as in writing, as in life, that, that what you just yes, said. Yes, very much. Yes. And in fact, have you found that life is easier as you get older, is in, or, or maybe even happier as you get older? I think it's happier. But I think partly that's been because I've been lucky. Hmm. I don't, I don't know if there's any general rules about this. There are certain, certain things that can happen to people that make it very difficult to maintain any kind of happiness. Sure. But I suppose quite a lot of older people say, thing, say that it, one worries less about life as you get That's older. That's what I think. One worries less. Hmm. Uh, but I, I, think, I think a lot depends on... I haven't had a very unhappy life. I, ha- I haven't had big, terrible things happen to me. And this is partly even because of the the uh, chance of living in a country that's been fairly comfortable hmm. so that the outside things uh, are not as apt to interfere with and hurt you. But, but other things can come that you just didn't expect. In your stories, you write quite a lot about very disagreeable things happening to people. You explore that territory. Oh, well, disagreeable. Yes, by by uh, saying that um, that terrible things haven't happened. I mean that I haven't been in major wars. You know, the kind of things from outside that come at us, um, and that I have lived in a fairly comfortable country my whole life. Mm. That's what I meant. That that, that I, but the, the 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 things that can come from inside from a person's. Uh, 
fear of themselves or of their uh, lack of, uh, what should I say, lack of confidence. You can have lack of confidence even though you may live in a very nice, confident country. You can, you can have all kinds of personal problems that um, you're going to get in the way of. And these are one of the interesting things to write, I think. Not, I mean, not to write stories that are depressing. I, I, never, I, I don't feel I do that. But um, stories that, that get into uh, the unexpected, the, the lonely, the, uh, the personal, and what's under the surface, and this, um, this I think can be not so much by what happens to you in your life as just what kind of person you are. When I was a little girl, I I read the story of uh, Hans Christian Andersen. You know where the? Do you know that story where the um, the the princess? turns into um, a mermaid you know, the, the little mermaid yes, the mermaid yes. yes yes and it was so sad I couldn't bear it and so I walked around and around and around in the garden and made up a happier story that had a happy ending and the princess and the, the uh, I, I forget just how it is but anyway she got the man <laughs> the prince and um, it took me quite a while to realize that I had just done this in my own my own story. It, it wasn't therefore changed in the world. So uh, I think you you come to something like that that you you can't you can't. There are things you can't change or do anything about. And that's when the writing gets quite important to you and um, intense in a way that has has not to do not to do so much with reception or other people, but just what you get, what you find in yourself. It seems like it's quite a brave thing to go into yourself and find that side of so. life. Yes. I know, I'm not saying this very well, but uh, I think you know what I mean. It's very clear what you mean. And on this, on this sort of idea of the bravery of it, I mean... It, these are, as a, a word I used earlier, disagreeable things to tackle, but it's disagreeable for most people to think about such things. And in a way, one tries to escape thinking about such yes. things. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. interesting to me that you constantly revisit it. Do you do it because there's, you have a responsibility to expose oh, this? Oh, no. I, I never feel a responsibility. I mean, not in that way. I feel responsibilities in my life, but mm. not in my writing. I feel that uh, this is what interests me. This is this is me. This is what what I want to say. I felt or something like this. Uh, it's as if you you only have as you go through life. The only thing you can be sure of, or at least partially sure of, is yourself and what you have felt and what you have done and what you would do differently now and etc. 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 But I I don't like at all fiction that is um, is written to uh, to make people change or or um, you know become better people or anything. I just like it to be uh, to I, I would like the fiction to to make it people start and say oh yes yes that's true 
or yes, that's just what I thought. Just the last question about these, the less pleasant sides of life that one writes about. You don't pass judgment. Are you tempted to sometimes on your characters? No, heavens no. Perhaps we could um, talk a little bit about your early life. And, mm -hmm. and were you always a storyteller as a child? Oh, yes. But I only told the stories to myself. Just uh, walking around and around. I had a fairly long walk to school, which was a time for stories. And uh, they, they, a lot of them were, uh, were about myself and my interesting future when I grew up. <laughs> And you never shared them with anybody? Oh, goodness, no. Did they keep you happy? Yes, yes. They, they, they were extremely comforting. Mm -hmm. So they were happy stories in general? Oh, yes, yes. They were stories of considerable success. <laughs> Maybe in the movie star line, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and what were your literary influences as a child? Oh, well, I suppose the um, we have a series of stories in Canada uh, that are called the Anne of Green Gables stories, and uh, these are about a, a little orphan girl growing up, and then and other stories would be the Hans Christian Andersen stories, and... Uh, just about anything I could get my hands on, really, what became an important story. Oh, and I read, uh, I read a child's history of England, which was, uh, as it says, a history of England written for children by, I think, of course, it was Dickens. And I loved those stories, and I, I reread them and, uh, and sometimes reframed them with myself as a heroine rather than the person in the story. <laughs> <laughs> they're quite gruesome, those, those histories, aren't they? They're very gruesome. That didn't bother me at all. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even that's part of the appeal to uh, children, I, I think. Well, I think so. And uh, there, there were, of course, dreadful things happening in them. People, people often got their heads chopped off. <laughs> and uh, and th this was, uh, you know, for some misdemeanor or other. But mm. if, if I really liked my heroine in the story i i didn't get her head chopped off i made this i changed the story so that that wouldn't happen so somehow these uh, these these ha these happy stories in your head um s changed into more realistic stories that started to be written down and you said that that happened when you had children oh i think it really happened before i had children mm -hmm. i i was working at uh, at stories when I was in high school, and um, I did a, a, a shortened version of Peer Gint when I was at university, and this was for, for a school production, a university production. So I was doing a lot of things like that that were uh, sort of official um, stories that, uh, you know, that were real stories, mm. not stories that I had made up. But I sometimes changed them so that we could do them in a... I mean, I shortened them so that we could do them in a, in a play or something like that. 
I suppose it's when you started writing about life around you rather than... Mm -hmm. Yes, that would have happened when I was about... Well, I got married when I was around 20, 21, and, and then life around me became inescapable. <laughs> That's a very good phrase. <laughs> People frequently compare you to Chekhov, um, and that is partly, of course, because you share a love of the short story. Mm -hmm. But um, it's partly... I suppose because you're both, in a way, sort of pickers up of unconsidered trifles. You, you, yep. And I wonder, do you spend a lot of your time observing small events and thinking how they might expand into stories? Well, you know, I don't spend my time doing that with any conscious um, design, but I just do it naturally all the time. Mm. I mean, the, the, what I see around me. But do you think you're more, I mean, would you say you were more observant than other people of these things? Oh, yes, I think I got to be. But uh, one of the reasons was falling in love with Chekhov, which I did probably when I was, I don't know, 16, 17. And uh, not consciously copying, but thinking of what, what you could do with life what you could do with with story life and I, I think Chekhov was was a revelation to me and, and what would you say was the magic of Chekhov for you well the extreme importance he would give to ordinary life uh, the dignity he gave to such people people who generally didn't get into stories and um, I think the kindness there's a wonderful mercy in, in and check off as if everybody is worthwhile would you say that it is important to recognize people's efforts even if those efforts are oh yes yes pathetic or miserable yes 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 and people's own interpretation of what they are doing compared to what other people may think or uh uh, just, just the constant changes and and uh, just the interest of how people get through. And in a way, throughout all these decades of writing, you've been documenting the world around you. I suppose you could say that. Yes. Sometimes people speak about a sort of photographic element in your work. Do you like the world you see around you more or less than you used to? <laughs> uh, I, I really can't answer to that because there are so many ways in which the world has changed uh, if, you, if you are my age. And uh, I see things around me that are, oh, just so much more tolerant, more... Uh, Give, give the individual so much ease compared to, the, you know, what I grew up in. And so I'm, I'm naturally happy with that, but that doesn't, that isn't really what I'm talking about when I write stories. I'm still writing stories which are about problems that people have to solve in some way or that they try to leave alone or something. And that, that really doesn't change much, although the exact happenings might change 
if you live together, you know, with your lover, unmarried. Now, obviously, that's something that has changed from being a, an absolutely amazingly horrible thing to being uh, very commonplace. Mm. So things like that have changed. But I don't think the major problems that people have in their getting along in life, getting along with other people or with their own emotions, uh, those haven't changed. They, they're just in different wrappings now, sort of. Now, you're very much viewed as a Canadian writer. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. But w- what does the description Canadian writer mean to you? Oh, it means writing by anything who lives in, everybody who lives in Canada. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> well, that, yeah. uh, but I think when people use it, uh, they may use it for all kinds of things, maybe for uh, the fact that maybe my focus is on Canadians more definitely than that uh, it, it started out definitely because when I was young I never knew anybody who wasn't a Canadian my life was not uh, structured in that way that I saw many people who who were very different from the people I knew around me and so I started writing people who knew around me and maybe I still feel that those are the people I know and I, I, I know more deeply. Mm. And have you ever wanted to be anything other than a Canadian no. writer? No, I haven't been, because I could see more material there than I could ever live to write about. And one doesn't... I didn't think of any other... of going... of, of a need to go anywhere else or... Um, try to take on other things that I should uh, learn about, perhaps. I, I do this in my real life. I, in my real life, I don't stick to to Canadian people or Canadian friends or Canadian life in any particular way. But when I write about it, that's what I can write about and know that I'm not um, I'm not being shallow, and it's important not to be shallow. And do you think the setting matters? Do you think that um, actually the fundamental aspects of getting through life that you talk about would be the same if you were writing about a French group of people or enough? Uh, well, I think there'd be a great deal that was similar. I think a lot of superficial things would seem the same, and even some moral things or, or manners might seem different. But there would be a basic um, sameness. And for instance, when I started reading Russian when I was fairly... not the Russian language, but Russian stories, when I was very young. And I found there a great sympathy with the Canadian stories that I was reading, although the incidents might not be very different. And what about the language you use? Language is a tool, and it was what I started with, and um, that I still work with, but not all the time. I did... I do uh, write with now with um, a feeling for different classes of people, which does give does give you changes in language, which are important. Mm. But there's a there is a sort of sparseness or a sort of oh yes 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 I'd say the sparseness was was not um, particularly conscious. I don't sit down and say, I will write a very sparse novel. I, I write but just 
way uh, the way the way I see mo- as most effective. Hmm. I, sp- I suppose as a non-Canadian, I might say that it was a rather Canadian way of of being. Yes, you that, might. That, yes, indeed. To the point, mm-hmm. straightforward. Mm-hmm. And do you like that idea that that's how Canadians speak? <laughs> no, not necessarily. It's not. It's not a matter of liking. It's a matter of being able to get out as much um, feeling and understanding as and seriousness as I can. And I, I guess I, I suppose that I would do that in in uh, a language that seems most workable in that way. to ask a little bit more about how you write. Okay. But how do you how do you inhabit a story? How do you populate it? Oh, that's an interesting question that I don't know the answer. I I just um I just start thinking about the people in it and uh and um being I I think I get to see them and hear them and and uh, want to know more about them, and there will be a connection here sometimes by the uh, the story in my mind and the, and the people that I have observed in my life. But um, I tend to put those things together in a way that um, I'm not writing about anybody in real life, and I'm I'm inventing a kind of. Um, person that I will write about but but this person is always based on certain realities that have intrigued me mm. and then as you structure the story yes is there a sequence to it does it does it flow as it would in the story as you build it or are there or, or do you see maybe the That's end a very good question because it, no it doesn't it, it it starts in a way that almost any old way at all that I can get into it and I get into it, and then I often do make changes in the, um, you know, in the way the story happens in the, the language. And not not just in the language, I mean, but in the the um, what happens in the story and how the reader comes across what happens. It must be, in some ways, difficult to limit the story. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sometimes it is, and sometimes not. But uh, yes, I, I've tended to write sometimes quite long stories that were almost uh, I didn't have a name for really, mm. and um, and they just demanded. I, I didn't think I will write a long story. I just found that what I was writing about demanded these characters and this time, and uh, and it just became a long story. And many of your characters, many of the people at the centre of your stories are women. Mm-hmm. Maybe an obvious question, but why is that? Well, I, I, I suppose it's because I am a woman and I know about, I know things about women's lives. And um, I'm just, more, maybe I'm more interested because of what I know. 
And what I see has happened, when I see what women do in certain situations, and uh, I know that uh, males write about women, sometimes very convincingly, but not always. There are great classics where I think uh, the female characters are uh, not very believable. Mm. So you could say I'm writing (laughs) against that. So is it a conscious effort to portray women, or is it just a natural... Oh, goodness, no. Goodness, no. Because that's that's the world I live in and have for my life. Mm. So it isn't... um, Sometimes I write about a male character, though, whom I know very well, and I don't feel at all that there's... There's no essential difference in writing about a male character. It might just be that in certain areas I'm less less well-versed. I suppose that raises the question of, is it more fun to write about a character you know well or a character who you feel you don't know so well? <laughs> <And> <laughs> that is impossible to answer because it's it's uh, more fun with any, any story that is really going well. What I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter the gender. Mm. If if it's just if it's something that uh, I feel I really know the character and uh, who, the paces I put the character through are very interesting. Do you consider yourself to be um, a female writer or just a writer? A writer, mm. a writer, because I think these things we've been talking about about who uh, you know the differences in what you write about um, don't matter. A great deal. It's it's the the insight, the work, the um, the way you give yourself to the story that matters. Can you expand on that a bit more? Well, uh, when I say give yourself to the story, that that means that you don't just do what is easy or what might um, what might have first occurred to you. You let the characters develop. And you see that this person is acting in a certain way. Now, this sounds a bit silly, because, of course, everything that's going on is going on in my head. But when, when it's really working, it's working in that way that uh, you have to be... For make, to make the story any good, you have to be very truthful about your writers. Uh, be, be not your writers, your, your characters. And you have to let them do what they really would do rather than something that the reader might want them to do sometimes if that makes any sense yes it does it, it absolutely does but that indicates that you are really creating a world in which they are free agents operating and you're observing them pretty much yes I, I, I don't want to say things like that because it sounds a bit what a, a bit what you know, <laughs> but and and I am a you know I'm a straightforward Canadian woman, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, sort of like that. And the future, um, mm-hmm. you mentioned in the call on the day of the announcement that the Nobel Prize might induce you to start writing again. Did I say that? You did. <laughs> <laughs> I was crazy. <laughs> no, I, 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 
uh, yeah, of course it might. You never know. But um, I began to feel that I'd, I, I, I felt that I'd done my best work. I felt that the energy wasn't in me anymore. And as long as that is true, I will, I will not try. But if it, if it came back, um, of course I would try, but I'm, I'm just not sure of that ever happening. And without the end point of putting them down on paper, are you still creating the stories in your head? Not recently, because I haven't had time. But uh, that's a very good question, because if I'm not collecting them in my head, then it would be the first time since about five, but I was five years old that I wasn't. So I expect that maybe I will start. I'm not right now because life is very intense and busy around me, but uh, maybe, maybe that's going to change. I don't know. So those who want you to start writing again, of, who, of whom there are many, should, should absolutely leave you alone. <laughs> oh, yes, they should. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, that's a good signature. That's a good sign for me to stop. So it's, oh, it, it's been um, an enormous pleasure speaking to you, and I thank you oh, very I'm much indeed. Glad. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast was presented by Nobel Prize Conversations. If you'd like to learn more about Alice Munro, you can go to nobelprize.org, where you'll find a wealth of information about the prizes and the people behind the discoveries. Nobel Prize Conversations is a podcast series with Adam Smith, a co-production of FILT and Nobel Prize Outreach. The producer for Nobel Prize Talks was Magnus Yulier. The editorial team for this encore production includes Andrew Hart, Olivia Lundquist, and me, Claire Brilliant. Music by Epidemic Sound. You can find previous seasons and conversations on Acast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. If you're passionate about the Nobel Prize, you won't want to miss a single episode of our podcast. Be sure to subscribe. We're available on Acast, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, GeoSarvan, Spotify, and many, many more popular platforms.